that was the opening music to The Man with the X-Ray Eyes. And I don't have any of the information about it. Do you have the dates and the studio? Oh, I do. I have all of that. Uh, The Man with the X-Ray Eyes was distributed by American International Pictures. And American International Pictures was renowned for movies that were the second feature in double feature movies in the theater or drive-in movie theaters. I think I saw four dozen American International Pictures at the drive-in in Lewistown. It was released in September of 1963 and directed, produced, and kind of overall set up and, and finished by Roger Corman, who did so many movies of this kind and others. I saw where I uh, was looking it up that he uh, did over 50 films and most of them were low budget releases. This one, The Man with the X-ray Eyes, was released as a double feature with another one, Dementia 13. I don't know if that describes some family members or what that is, but... <laughs> Could be. And it was made for the magnificent budget amount of 280 thousand dollars in 1963 so that's kind of the background on it yeah i think we were we were wanting to pick a movie that was a little bit better than the last one so it wasn't a grade z movie but i think this is in some respects it's kind of a i mean you could say it's a b movie right because it was the second feature Usually, I think they were the second of the two. Although, with the double feature of Dementia 13 and The Man with X-ray Eyes, it would be hard to decide which one was an A picture. <laughs> that sounds like drive-in fodder to me. Yeah, know? definitely. But there's some great scenes in this movie that I think bring it up above a typical B movie for sure. I love the opening of the movie where it kind of starts out with uh, the you know the scientist who's trying to you know, come up with a way that he can see beyond what normal humans would be able to see. And it has a little bit of a kind of a mad scientist vibe at the beginning of Why it. Why are you really here, James? Because I told you to get my eyes examined. Let's have another look. You had the same examination three months ago. What makes you think your eyes have changed in three months? Nothing. Nothing yet. And this has something to do with your research. You're planning to experiment upon yourself, aren't you? All right. You're a fine doctor. You know what you're doing. You only have one pair of eyes. And with them, I want to see. You see fine. Sam? What's the range of human vision? Distance? No wavelength. Between 4,000 angstrom units and 7,800 angstrom units. You know that. Less than one-tenth of the actual wave spectrum. What could we really see if we had access to the other 90%? Sam, we are virtually blind. All of us. You tell me that my eyes are perfect. Well, they're not. I'm blind to all but a tenth of the universe. My dear friend, only the gods see everything. My dear doctor, I'm closing in on the gods. It does. I think another thing that raises it up in the 
in the uh, ranking of whether it's an A or a B is the fact that Ray Milan is the lead character as Dr. James Xavier. <clears throat> Ray Milan did so many excellent movies over his career, Dial M for Murder, a favorite of mine from the late 1940s, The Uninvited, a ghost story set on the coast of England. It's a very good movie. So he really, and you know, the other thing is he, he wants to, he wants to improve medical care through scientific applications of his plan, but it sort of goes awry. Yeah, it does. Cause it, he, uh, there's that scene at the beginning where he's giving the, 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 uh, eye drops to the, to the monkey. I know. And the monkey ends up having a heart attack because, well, we don't know exactly why, but maybe, maybe the monkey saw something that just scared it so much that it couldn't handle it. Put him there. Now, when he sees the white, he pull the corresponding switch and the light will go on. When he sees the blue, he'll do the same thing and the blue light will go on. And the same thing with the red. Now watch. Nothing up the sleeves. White, the one he normally sees. It's covered by the white screen. But he does see it. And the red. He sees the red. Oh, they're both covered. But don't you understand yet? He sees through them as if they were glass. ends up not getting a renewal on his grant because they don't think that he's really making any progress so he decides that he's going to experiment on himself which what could possibly go wrong with that yeah <laughs> an experimental drug that killed a monkey i mean i'm i'm ready he said to himself yeah, it's like that didn't turn out too well either especially for his friend dr brant played by harold j stone Right, because Dr. Brandt was sort of trying to tell him that's a really bad idea and I don't think you should do it. And Dr. Xavier is like, well, I need your help. I can't do this by myself. And are you going to help me or not? And he kind of talks him into helping him. But yeah, it kind of ends badly for Dr. Brandt. Well, only because they got into a struggle, as I recall, and Dr. Brandt went out the window and fell to his death. Right. Because the, it seems like the, the eye drops not only have an effect on eyesight, but they seem to be affecting like his mental state, right? Like he, he becomes obsessed with wanting to see further and further because it seems like the eye drops are working and he can see, you know, underneath clothes, you know? So then he, there's that funny scene where they go to that party and everybody's <laughs> dancing. <laughs> Can you imagine that scene being filmed today? There'd be a lot more uh, that was presented before the camera than was in that scene where everybody was naked. Yeah, but this one you just saw the you just saw their legs and like 
uh, up their sh naked shoulders, but you had to yeah. use your imagination for the rest of it. You like the way I dance? No, it's fine. It's just fine. Jim, my turn now. Did you find that fun? Oh, yes, yes. You know, uh, you're quite lovely. Cute. Matter of fact, you're very attractive. One drink certainly makes you a different man. Well, you could say I'm really seeing you for the first time. And that's the most interesting birthmark you have above the third rib on your left side. But how do you know that? <laughs> you can see me. Oh, and your backbone is a sheer delight. But remember, I am a doctor. Well, you remember that I'm a woman. I can hardly forget it. Come on, I'm getting you out of here. That was, that was just a typical party in the 1960s. There's a funny interaction in that scene between uh, Ray Milan's character and then Diana Vanderville's, uh, Vanderville's, oh, yes, yes. where uh, he can he can obviously see under her clothes, but she doesn't realize that at first, but then kind of quickly figures out that that's what's going on and gets him out of there. But uh, I, I thought her character was really interesting because she was also a doctor and was... Dr. Diane Fairfax. Yeah, and I think she was on the board that was deciding whether to renew his grant. Yeah, she, I think she was, yes. But she believed in what he was doing and was, was kind of also helping him along. Yes, I understand. I understood your objective when I first read your report. Why are you here? Because the report in question was dated nine months ago. Because since that time, you've drawn over $27,000 of the Foundation's money, and we haven't had a word from you. Well, there have been problems. Then report them. To whom? A group of businessmen who can't tell one quantum jump from another? No, to me. The Foundation found your research worthy of support. They also appointed me as liaison to these special projects. Listen, Doctor. I've given up my own research to help the Foundation, and I won't be talked to as if I were a child in kindergarten. It didn't really end out end up very well with her either during the film. She was persistent, though. She showed up. Well, I, I jumped ahead here. After they went to that party, then he kind of got worse and worse, and he took up residence in a carnival. He was working there to make money, and he worked for he worked with this uh, character named Crane. Yeah, <laughs> played by Don Rickles, and Don Rickles in this is. Uh, all serious. There's no joking or comedy with with his character. Yeah, I, t I nor normally think of him as a comedian, but in this film, he was uh, a carnival. He was running the carnival essentially, right? And and was was using was kind of using uh, Doctor Xavier's powers to you know draw in more people and make more money. And Doctor Xavier was getting to the point where he didn't want to be doing this anymore, but Crane was basically kind of strong-arming him to stay as part of the carnival. And there was a great there was a great line that uh, was in that scene during the carnival segment where they were the other some of the other carnival workers were talking about how Dr. Xavier must be able to see you know, through things, or he's got some kind of mental power, or, 
you know, something that's not normal and, and how they would love to have that power and what they would do with it. And then Dr. Xavier comes out and says that... He drove them off today. Like they were scared. I saw them run from his show. Said he saw too much. He's all right. Does his job. He keeps to himself. Why not? He's got a right. Does he? We all live and work together. He gives me the creeps. Maybe we give him the creeps. <laughs> Did you ever see his eyes? He always wears those glasses and that mask. Now Crane hustles for him. Crane, he thinks he's real. Real? What do you think? He's a ghost? Well, what he does is real. No tricks. Coffee? Sure, you bet. Two coffees. He sees, not through your mind, but through things like paper and cloth. He's got a good act, that's all. No. Yeah, an act. What else could it be? A man that could really see through things, he wouldn't be here. No, he wouldn't. He'd be something big, powerful. He'd be something special. What would he be? He'd, he'd know secrets. Secrets he could use. A hold on people, that's what he would have. Something to make them listen to him. Is that what you think? I never think. I eat. Maybe he could help keep people from hurting each other. How? By telling everybody everything. No secrets. What's anybody got to fight about? Same things they've always fought about. Ideas, thoughts, differences. I'd stop them. If I had your power, I'd stop them. I'd make them do things my way or I'd hurt them all if I had your trick. Trick? I thought you said it was real. Well, if a man was real, he wouldn't be here. Maybe this is all he could be. This and nothing more. Nothing more than just a man. But at the same time, he wants to continue working on his eye drops, and he wants to, he still want. he's still not satisfied with what he can see you know it's an it's an interesting dynamic where he's he's feeling cursed but at the same time wants to see more he gets ever more deeply drawn into that and he and and crane or don rickles get set up in that kind of seedy neighborhood in that apartment and then they're trying to make more money by dr uh, xavier uh predicting what people are doing and how they're acting and all yeah because he can see inside them and see what they're what's wrong with them like if they're sick or if they have cancer or some kind of other ailment he can he can diagnose it without you know anything other than just his eyesight so he's got people coming from all over the city to come visit him then I, I think after that, there's kind of a, the, a, the a woman, a Dr. Diane Fairfax, shows up and tries to talk him into another uh, life choice. But I think they end up, I, I hope I have this right, they end up going to Las Vegas where he uses his vision to win at gambling to such an extent he gets into trouble there. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he keeps winning because he can see through the, he can obviously see what the cards are and and uh the security at the casino figure out what's going on and start to chase him and then he gets in his car and then there's a high-speed chase through the desert so this boy this, that was something wasn't it yeah <laughs> but it was a weird time. it was a weird segue from the from the you know where crane and and him are 
making money off of these poor people in the city to Diane, Dr. Diane Fairfax showing up and kind of getting him out of there, going to Las Vegas, and then this car chase. It was, it was a weird kind of part of the movie to me. Well, two other things that I, I thought were weird is his eyes are continually being altered by the drops. First they become black and gold, and then yeah. entirely black. And to hide his appearance, he starts wearing those really super dark sunglasses. So that's one kind of a weird thing to add to the car chase and all the other. But also, I noticed throughout the movie, he always had beautifully custom-made tailor suits. <laughs> he looked he looked like Cary Grant in North by Northwest. No matter what happened to him, his suit looked impeccable. I wonder if he got to keep those suits, because, yeah, those were perfectly tailored. So they weren't off the rack. Yeah. Maybe that was part of his contract. Hey, you, you know, part of doing this movie, you'll get, like, uh, six tailored suits or something. <laughs> <laughs> and a lifetime supply of really dark sunglasses. Yeah, and his eyesight's getting to the point where he can't see normally, so he's, he's driving through the desert in this car chase but he can't really see very well and and he he's there's a lot of near misses with oncoming cars or going off the road and then the police bring in a helicopter and they start chasing him with the helicopter and it's it's pretty psychedelic how they make it make it uh you know make you kind of see what he's seeing as he's going mm -hmm. along this car chase and then he finally kind of loses somehow he loses the police and ends up at this kind of revival, like church revival tent, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that was another, I mean, the, the uh, continuity from, from uh, different parts of this movie sometimes was a little uh, hard for me to follow. The, yeah. the, in, the inner city, the, the carnival, the inner city, the, uh, Las Vegas, the car chase, and then it's a tent revival full of people. Inside that tent, it could have been 120 degrees. Yeah, that Out in the desert like that. But I, I did kind of, I did like that part because I I believe that that was actually something that would happen. They would go around to different like rural areas and they would have these revival uh, sermons or whatnot, and and that to me seemed like yeah, that seemed real, like that could actually happen. That would happen in my hometown. It's just that that tent and, and where the where it was located seemed a little strange, rather than in a small town you know like in the parking lot of the church or something yeah that's true but um the pastor uh, says that what he's seen is seen is, is is seen sin and the devil and quotes the verse if thine eyes offends thee pluck it out now tell me whom do we love the lord yes we love the lord and what do we hate sin. yes we hate sin we must destroy it. Hallelujah. And how shall we save our souls? The then come forward and save your souls. Come forward and save your souls. Are you a sinner? Do you wish to be saved? Saved? No, I've come to tell you what I see. There are great darknesses 
farther than time itself. And beyond the darkness, a light that glows and changes. And in the center of the universe, the eye that sees us all. told us what to do about it. Said Matthew in chapter 5, if thine eye offends thee, plug it out! 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 That was a very affirming kind of a positive statement. Let's <laughs> knock him out. Yeah. <laughs> so what does he do? He like he he he's in this church uh, tent and he ends up seeing like to the center of the universe or something. Like we don't know exactly what he sees, which is pretty cool that we don't actually get to see what he sees or know what he sees. Like it would have been super cheesy if they'd shown some, you know monster at the center of the universe or some eye staring back at him or something but all we get is his reaction to the fact that he's seeing further than anyone's ever seen before and he's like it's too much for him to handle so then he does rip his eyes out i think he was losing it mentally too yeah as an understatement i mean he he'd gone round the bend uh, there was I an alternate heard. ending. There was an alternate ending, though, where even after he uh, ripped his eyes out, that he there's a line where he says, "I can still see." Like I know, I, I read that too. But uh, uh, Mr. Corman said that was uh, not a scene that was an alternate ending. He said that that was a scene that was completely Stephen King's creation for another film. But Mr. Corman wishes he had thought of it. Oh, really? Okay. It, uh, the exact quote is, however, in other instances, Corman has claimed that the scene was completely Stephen King's creation, the scene being, I can still see, though he wishes that he had thought of it. Oh, interesting. So, interesting. It is. It, it's kind of a fun movie because, you know, it, it's got a lot of parts to it that, that I could kind of get to where I identified with it, you know, the search for improvements in medical care and and the fact that he was losing his mind as well as his sight. But uh, you could tell that it was made in a hurry on a limited budget. Yeah, and I think they spent a lot of their money on some of the special effects because there's some special effects where he can see through walls or he can see, like, skeletons and they're moving around. And um, it was interesting. I was reading on IMDb that they filmed that scene where he can see through the walls by actually constructing a building uh and filming each segment of that and then running it backwards as if it was being deconstructed so oh my that would have been expensive well not a whole building but you know the the wall that he was seeing yeah yeah the um i think they also spent a a a nice amount on the poster if uh, any listener wants to look up on um the internet the man with x-ray eyes 
they're sure to find the poster that has Ray Milland and his eyes are kind of surrounded by yellow and there's a big X across his forehead and he's kind of in green. It's quite a, it's quite a beautiful poster. I'm and it's got it the it's here. got the monkey and skeleton, and then it's got a woman. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's pretty great. Like sometimes the posters, uh, like for instance, for Plan Nine from Outer Space, are way better than the actual movie. <laughs> yeah, well, in that case, their budget was, I think, sixty thousand dollars. They spent it all. On, they spent it all on the poster. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. Oh uh, well, this one. Um, I have to say I gave it a higher rating than a one. <laughs> yeah, I did too. Which was, which was our rating for Plan 9. I, I rate this at a four on our 10-point scale. I, I give it a four because it does have a, some nice features on the themes, and I enjoy Raymond Land as an actor over a long period of time. But it just, it, there's enough kind of, continuity problems that keep it below the middle slightly yeah i i would give it a five i i keep thinking about this movie even after i watch it and i there's a uh podcast that i listen to called hppodcraft.com which talks about hp lovecraft and his weird tales and all these authors that were in the early 20th century late uh 19th century that were authors about weird tales and there's a real aspect to this movie of of weirdness of just what's really going on with him is he losing his mind or is he seeing beyond into another dimension or other dimensions and and i i keep thinking about you know the journey that he went on i i really like that part of the movie where he starts off as this scientist in the laboratory trying to do this good work and then decides that he's going to go rogue experiment on himself then kind of starts losing control of his experiment and maybe losing his mind during the process of that. Um, but yeah, the continuity parts of it were kind of jarring. And the the fact that the, the lead uh, female uh, actress kind of comes in at the beginning, has a pretty strong role, and then just disappears in the middle of the film and then comes back yeah. for a little bit. And I wasn't quite sure what the deal was with that it was strange but yeah well you know i think many reviewers felt about the film like like you do because it did it did receive an award i i looked that up before our podcast this morning the film won the 1963 quote silver spaceship unquote award at the first international festival of science fiction films at a, in, that took place in Italy. Huh. I didn't realize that until just this morning. And I, the other thing, I, I could be convinced to come up uh, to higher than a four, but because Roger Corman made some really, really excellent films uh, in conjunction with his work with Richard Matheson, House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum, Premature Burial, Tales of Terror, The Raven, The Haunted Palace, The Mask of the Red Death. I mean, it, he's a he's a really really. Oh, The Haunted Palace is a good movie. That's an interesting director. Movie. Yeah, As, I believe he's still 
I'm not sure he's still working, but he's he's uh, still around. He was on Turner Classic Movies. They interviewed him, and the interviewer asked him if he would ever do a big-budget film, and he said, I, I'd love to do a big-budget film, but the problem is the studio or the people that were financing it would want too much control, and apparently Mr. Corman really wanted to have complete control of his, of his uh, movies, and uh, he didn't think that would be possible. So he never did a big one like that. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be tough to keep. It'd be tough to keep complete control, unless you're, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg or. Yes. James Cameron or something like that. Yeah. Sure. Well, it got an eighty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's really? pretty high. Yeah. My goodness. I must be in a conservative mood this morning on my rating. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. I, I, uh, I did enjoy it. I mean, it, I didn't laugh as much as I did when I watched Plan Nine for Outer Space because Nancy wasn't like, "What are you watching in there?" Anyway, I know. So, although uh, I think we uh, we got to put on our list the orgy of the dead uh, to <laughs> to round out our. Is, is that is that a Roger Corman? No, that's a um, yeah. It's a it's another Ed Wood movie. That I and I think it has that same Criswell character in it. Um, the Orgy of the Dead. Yeah. Do you know what year it was made? Not Nin- that it matters. 1965. 65. Uh, yeah, it's got Criswell in it. Oh wow! <laughs> he plays the I, Emperor. <laughs> oh, I I mentioned uh, Plan Nine for not, uh, Outer Space when I was in San Diego and Dennis and I were talking about old movies because he likes old movies. He said yes, and he remembers when Criswell was on television in Los Angeles making these wild predict- pre- predictions every week, I suppose, none of which were in any way made any sense, because <laughs> he says he remembers seeing him and how strange he looked here, with that hair. Yeah, he was like one of the best parts of that movie. Here's the, here's the synopsis for Orgy of the Dead. John and his girlfriend Shirley go in search of a cemetery in order to inspire John for writing his next horror story. After they crash the car, they wander into the graveyard and encounter the dancing dead, a full moon spectacle overseen by the ruler of the dark. Before long, the couple is spotted and taken prisoner. Tied to stakes and forced to watch the dancing, they await their fate. (laughs) Wow! I am Criswell. For years I have told the almost unbelievable related the unreal, and showed it to be more than a fact. Now I tell a tale of the threshold people, so astounding that some of you may faint. This is a story of those in the twilight time, once human, now monsters, in a void between the living and the dead. Monsters to be pitied, monsters to be despised. A night with the ghouls, the ghouls reborn from the innermost depths of the world. Well, I know we have another one coming up for podcast, but after that one, let's let's do Orgy of the Dead, and we will be able to uh, have a trio, a trilogy. <laughs> okay, good. If you will. All right. Oh, boy. I'm going to add that to the list after uh, this gun for hire. That'll be a, that might be another uh, one-star movie, or maybe two. We'll have to see. Okay, well... That was The Man with the X-Ray Eyes. 
And I think we forgot to do our introduction at the beginning, but uh, here we go. This is Matt Johnson recording from Seattle today. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles inviting everyone to uh, listen to our podcast. They can be found on iTunes under Classic Movie Reviews or on Facebook or on uh, look for Classic Movie Reviews and then on our own website, www.classicmoviereviews.net. And... Uh, we wish you all happy movie watching and listen for our next podcast coming up soon. Which is... This Gun for Hire with Alan Ladd and Veronica Lake. I'm thinking that's going to be a little bit more coherent and uh, well made. So Very much so. Very well done. From 1942. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Okay, well, until next time. Adios.